about to enter a nexus of science, violence, and nonsense. Where fake news, pseudoscience, and weaponized stupidity meet full contact fact-checking and peer-reviewed ass-kicking. And as always, no bullshit allowed. Recorded live at the Bushido headquarters in Austin, Texas, this is the Art of Fighting BS podcast. You are fake news. Come on, man. Science is interesting. If you don't agree, you can fuck off. Let's do this. My name is Jessica, and I run a psychedelic retreat. What does that normally consist of? And for our audience's benefit, how is that different than... Uh, bunch of dudes like sitting in a basement listening to the joe rogan podcast and like talking about aliens and shit okay first of all we don't really do we, i don't want to make a liar out of myself because i'm pretty <laughs> sure at some point at the retreat aliens and shit have been discussed everything is discussed <laughs> at some point there there were no dirty socks and it wasn't a basement that's me it's a pretty fancy seaside villa we have another villa in the mountains in mexico but Ooh. Like what's different about it is I would say that we're a little bit closer towards like Sam Harris, explore your consciousness than the, in a basement yeah. talking about <laughs> aliens and shit. Yeah. The Rogan sphere. And this is of particular interest to our audience because as you've got like a large overlap with that whole sphere, especially martial arts, jujitsu, the community is kind of. It, it, there's so many things that kind of just intersect and we're on the outside of that when it comes to the weirder things, the Eddie Bravos and the just straight up just conspiracy theories and that, that kind of crap. And there's a lot of stuff involved in that piques the interests of people who want there to be a little bit more to life than just, just the regular, the home drum kind of stuff. In your experience, when it comes to these sorts of things, a particular DMT, which I guess is like the hot topic thing in, in that sphere like it's always been like part of my dream to go on a martial arts themed podcast and talk about dmt <laughs> yeah yeah no i would totally be the first person to do it no i'm kidding <laughs> exactly um, it's so original completely original yeah in preparation for this i went through and looked at a, a couple different videos of a lot of stuff and of course automatically in the top of the list popped up rogan some of the stuff that he there's even one where he's like sitting there in a black and white thing like giving a whole presentation about it like he's some kind of like he's Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone. And I'm like, what? Man. I'll let you know. I'm actually in the jujitsu community, but it wasn't something that ever called to me at all. I would look at a bunch of people dancing in the mud at a, obviously on a screen at a, a music festival, because I wouldn't actually be there. If it has porta potties, I'm not going. But I would look at it and think, what is wrong with these people? It's everything about the hippie culture was just a complete turnoff for me. So I am in the jujitsu community, but it wasn't something that really called to me. It's something that I really like I stayed away from. Because, yeah. I mean, I follow in I follow your content. It's not really my kind of thing. Yeah, we're a little bit more grounded when it comes to sort that sort of thing. And that's cool because as I'm sure you're gonna explain to us at some point, there's a lot of potential in this sort of thing that's actually really evidence-based there's medical applications there's therapy therapeutic applications for all a whole range of things that they're just now beginning to explore and it's good that we discuss this from like a more science perspective than the i'm gonna like load up and go talk to elvis shit yeah because shrooms are for everyone man shrooms are for everyone 
So specifically <laughs> DMT though, that, that's the, uh, that that's probably the one that gets talked about a lot, especially in all our circles. I don't remember what it stands for, dimethyl something or other. And then it's, but it's really a derivative. difficult to pronounce. It's really difficult to pronounce. I'm not going to get into the details there. It just, we, we just need to know it's the active ingredient in ayahuasca. That's ayahuasca. Okay. Yeah. And that's a, that's the thing. Between psilocybin and DMT, like the main differences that you, is the, how long it binds to the receptors, like how long the actual experience lasts. Yeah. But we left a pretty big gap there because like I said, I'm not really into all this hippie stuff, but then here I am a grown ass woman <laughs> running a psychedelic retreat and something happened in between those two points of time. It wasn't just like a, Hey, I think this would be a good idea. Or I saw the light or so I it didn't happen like that. Cause when you, you talked about medical applications, what happened is I got sick. Yeah. And psilocybin was the only thing that really helped with this really painful neurological condition that I had. And when I was looking for a, some retreat to somehow like a quick, fast way to become an expert, super comfortable with this sort of stuff, everything I found was a complete turnoff, complete turnoff. Like it was yeah. just this woo hippie shit that did not sit well with me, but still like I was in a lot of pain and I needed to find a way forward through it. Yeah. And like, I would go and I would, I don't understand what it is about this, that, that community. It looks like everyone is cosplaying a Star Wars character with the, <laughs> like Anakin Skywalker with a little, little braid just coming off of the side and the yeah. mini mullet. Um, and it, it, it was a turnoff for me. It was just like, no, this is not something I'm, and then they would tell me things that I felt were completely like they just didn't fit with what I knew about medical science, like saying, it's okay, you're going to get really nauseous and you're going to vomit, but it's good because you're vomiting out the bad spirits. And when someone, yeah, when they told me that, I thought, I can't go to a place like this. It's not going to happen. Some hippie is going to get suplexed if yeah. they tell me this <laughs> in an altered state of mind. It's not going to be pretty. No one's going to survive this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would survive, but I will. I would I would that would be the part of it that I would appreciate to see. It's just say, hey man, why am I going to splat? That, that's awesome. I admit I have found at this point a certain amount of a homeostasis with the hippie culture. So while there are some things that still make me twitch, I have struck a very sort of an uneasy piece. Yeah. No, I agree. Hippies are an easy punching bag because they don't really fight back. But and they're, of super, all... they're super nice, but I could not fathom the idea of being in a altered state of mind in what we'd consider a like a vulnerable state yep. and have someone tell me something that just didn't match up with my understanding of biology, yeah. the natural world, etc. Yeah, no, I never considered that because I'm pretty argumentative as a person. And then to have somebody when my brain is already not optimal and the, the way it's working to say something that intuitively I know is bullshit, I would just, I don't know how I'd react to that. That's interesting. Well, let me tell you, Frost, if you're in that state of mind and you're also very impressionable, what could also happen is you might believe them. Oh, that's the scariest that, part. That's worse. That's scary, right? Yeah. That's why even now, because I recognize that I'm very careful about who I am around in an altered state of mind, because things will go back to normal. You're going to be a little bit flexible, a little bit, but things will settle down. And then you're going to be irritated, irritated that you, that mm. you maybe went down a path that was, that didn't match your personal values. 
Yeah, because it's not like you're wanting to do this all the time. So if you invest a bunch of effort and time and you're planning to go to do one of these retreats, you would, yeah, it would be like somebody robbing you of the experience you wanted to have. I guess that, yeah, that is a way of looking at it. But so I put together, I said, if these hippies are doing it, I might as well do it <laughs> myself. So I put together a retreat and yeah. it's, and we, it is all based on, yeah, it's, it's science-based. Yeah. Yeah. And Sam Harris comes up every now and then, especially on the podcast. He's a, <laughs> he's a contentious figure with a lot of the people that I know, but you got to give him credit for the fact that he is a literal neuroscientist who is trying to get the, the research, serious research done into this and not just, and, and separate it from that, the, the, the sort of online guru sphere that, that exists that we all like to dunk on. But, and so you're now, not a Chopra fan. This is, no, that guy, Mr. Quantum, everything's quantum. Just, yeah. What no. does that word mean? I, so the way that I irritate quite a few of my actual neuroscientist friends is everything they say. I say, oh yeah, didn't Deepak Chopra tweet that? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I don't know why they would still be your friend after that, but no, that's great. <laughs> I didn't say I kept them long, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could just see them die inside. Yeah. Yeah, really. Uh, that's basically like saying, yeah, but Trump had some good ideas. Just no, just mm. don't. Uh, so yeah, I did want to talk about that a little bit because there are a lot of people out there that, that push this kind of thing. What is it? The, yeah, what is it? Terrence McKenna, I think is one of them. I don't know much about that guy. I know he's not exactly a science figure at this point. Yeah. And then there's the, I think Graham Hancock is into that too. And that's one of those alien pyramids dudes so trying to transcend their consciousness to contact interdimensional life beings and shit like that. And yeah, so I see the value in having something that's focused on actual evidence that will enrich people's lives because we get this life, right? And we do, it, and it's something to experience and to enjoy. Yeah, it's cool. It's like looking at a bunch of different art, but just internally, it just has too much of the spiritualism. This is all me just opining on the subject because honestly, I could say I could share that opinion. As I said, I've been able to relax a little bit on that side, be a little bit more tolerant not necessarily have to inject my opinion every time, but it's fun to, it's because I am not spiritual. I don't have, I mean, I am like complete reductionist. I yep. am materialist reductionist. Yep. I look at it. There's nothing about any of that, that ever really appealed to me, but yeah, you know what? Reality is meant to be enjoyed and it can be enjoyed in many different like fact like yeah. different forms. I agree. And that was one of the things I wanted to touch on because the whole spiritualism aspect of the stuff. And uh, I'll begin personally. I spiritual is a word that might as well just be, as far as I'm concerned, the same as unicornical, right? There's no such thing as unicorns. And spirit is just something that we have decided exists based on largely the fact that we want it to be there, to be a thing, to be more than just our material existence. And that irks the shit out of me because shouldn't matter what you want to be true. It's what is or isn't. I share some of those sentiments, but I would say I've explored consciousness enough to realize that I don't necessarily understand it. And I don't think anyone really does. So no, someone perfectly interprets fair. as spiritual, it's a sensation. It's a, you're explaining a, like a sensation. If I tell you how, what a, what a an apple tastes like, I'm describing a sensation, describing something. And there's something that people do experience during these mystical experiences that is not really, you can't really explain it. 
Yeah, and you can't translate and put it into easy language. No, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm get, guessing. I think spiritual is a cop out in a way. Yeah, but it's a useful label to communicate something to other people. I get that and I understand that. That makes sense. I got to say, though, I would describe myself as complete pedestrian on this. So any opinions I'm having are just from somebody on the outside as a lay person. I'm not, I'm not in a position right now because of my military commitments and such to, uh, <laughs> to engage in that sort of thing. Uh, right, but, okay. And I don't know. I honestly don't know, even know legal status or whatnot uh, of that. So that might be helpful with regards to. There, there are several places where it's been decriminalized. There are, and there are also, also several like research chemicals that are. And I know that word sounds crazy, like research chemicals, just like analogs of LSD. They're connected, yeah. and that that are not necessarily illegal. There's okay. So let's say ayahuasca is perfectly legal in in many places. It's just not super pleasant. Yeah, that's the one that makes you vomit, right? Or oh, and everything else. Vomit is oh, like, man. Yeah. That's not a spiritual experience most people would. The part that I can't really come, like I can't relate to is that they describe it as a spiritual experience. And then, but if you do have an experience where you vomit, like if you get the, do you remember the last time you puked? Oh, God. Oh. Yep, yep, I do. It was in a parking lot of a Kirby Lane here in Austin after drinking like 12 things of meat at a Ren Fair. About oh, okay. four there's or five years ago. Rush, there's this rush of chemicals that just, it's like, it's an almost a euphoric feeling. But I don't know if all that pain ahead of time was really worth it. No, not yeah. at all. Not at all. I, I have done like intense exercise and then thrown up as a result of that. And yeah, I felt great because a all feel good chemicals coming up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was lighter. Just For the average guest that comes and visits at our retreat, they're a little bit more in the medically delicate state. Okay. An experience like that isn't really on the table, even if that was something that they wanted to do. Like we have like cancer patients coming to visit, like vomiting is a pretty violent act on the body. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds rough, especially if you're, you're frail and you're just seeking some sort of alternative thing. And so that, that's a good thing that I wanted to touch on, too, is because there are so many failures in our current medical system to address like chronic pain and like symptoms that, for example, the Lyme disease thing, they denied that for like decades. They were just saying, well, that's not really a thing. And they were like pushing back on it. And just there's so many little things that people have or suffer from that can be a leaf by things that exist outside the medical system and especially the American health insurance system that it's like a double-edged sword. It's you can go outside for alternative treatments and occasionally they do work. But the problem is, especially on a broader scale with the kind of what we focus on, the ones that the few ones that do work, like, for example, maybe some like curing, addressing symptoms of addictions with psychedelics or something like that, which there's research into now. But something like that doesn't give weight to somebody doing colloidal silver to, to kill cancer or injecting bleach into their veins. So people like to say, oh, this alternative medicine works. So why don't I just go like down a gallon of homeopathic? I don't know cat piss or whatever they're doing to cure COVID. It's it's hard to explain things to people that want simple answers. So I, I really, what I personally support the idea of popularizing this as an approach that's on the fringes of science, but it's still doing that so we can get the ball rolling faster. I, they, okay. So there are quite a few scientists that are really looking into it and it's on multiple levels. I'll start on like the most basic level is it's an anti-inflammatory. It's a very strong anti-inflammatory that actually crosses the blood-brain barrier. 
the production of certain cytokines are controlled by your serotonin receptors. And where those, those receptors that respond to psilocybin and other classic psychedelics are concentrated, like in your circulatory system, your brain, and your gut, stimulating it with psilocybin and some in other similar substances does result in a reduction of these cytokines. So it's a pretty strong anti-inflammatory that can cross the blood-brain barrier. And they're observing this. There haven't been really very many human studies. I think because to observe neuroinflammation, you have to euthanize the rat. And I don't think we have very many people volunteering for that one. Not yet. Let's wait till the pandemic gets worse. No, oh God, I should. (laughs) So on that basic level, it's a strong anti-inflammatory that happens to have this really almost like a, a, it's also a little downside when you think about that, that it has these mind altering effects because it makes taking something like that on a regular basis very difficult for someone like me yeah. because it is not a addictive substance. It's more like a, like if you said you like, like going skydiving, people go up and they go skydiving and they go, they, they're like, oh, wow, that was the most amazing thing I ever did. But when they hit the yeah. ground, but then they're like, okay, you ready to go right back up? No, let's give it a little <laughs> bit of time. And for someone like me, who I get about maybe two weeks of pain-free time per dose, it is exhausting. Yeah. So the psychotropic effects are more of a, it's a hindrance to being able to use it as a treatment more than a, like a desirable effect. Yeah. Yeah, and if they try to, if they got more funding for actual research into it, they could figure out at least a range of therapeutic doses that to do some sort of steady state concentration of just the stuff that's anti-inflammatory or whatever to to address the symptoms. So far, what I've seen, it's not really that those things can't necessarily be disconnected. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah, unfortunate. But uh, maybe uh, you just have to buck up. That's the the point. You just got to buck up, get a little bit disciplined about it, really set up a disciplined meditative practice and just, you know, you just got to jump in that cold water. Yeah, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating that we're basically still cavemen when it comes to understanding how our brains work. And it's just so much room. And I guess it's exciting if you want to go into neuroscience and you want to go to war against all the preconceived notions and ridiculous like beliefs people have about how people think or what people think, et cetera. But I just, I, I couldn't help but be frustrated on the part of somebody that wants to study something like this and then keeps running into the puritanical norms of, of our cultures. No, you can't study that because uh, I don't know, among other things, Jesus and, and whatnot. But yeah. One thing that does really like it surprises me or it surprised me in the beginning is that I was a perfectly healthy I'd say normal 35-year-old woman. And I had no idea that your nervous system, just on a whim, could be just like, ah, you know what? Fuck you. And and your trigeminal nerve was going to hurt forever. And there was absolutely fuck all that anyone can do about it. We are allowed to curse yes, not just allowed, but encouraged. Encouraged, yes. So your trigeminal nerve is just up there with two little raised fingers saying, you know what, fuck you and fuck you forever. And and it doesn't stop. And there's nothing that anyone can do about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I had no idea. And also I was actually quite insensitive about it. When it comes to these like invisible illnesses, I was like, you look like an able-bodied person to me. Yeah. 
I came around. I had no, no idea that, okay, I figured, okay, you go to, you have a, a, I had knee surgery. I had a ACL replacement and okay, they had pain meds that worked for that. And then I got over it and I went through it, but I had no idea that there could just be one day that your life is not going to be the same again. You might look the same, but you're not, it's not going to be the same after that point. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people that are just walking around completely in in denial or just in ignorance of the fact that some people are just utterly miserable inside. They're just like the duck on the pond, just flapping their little legs under the water. You can't see how hard they're paddling. So I know I, I kind of I get that. And I think anybody that's been in the martial arts community, for example, can get that because like the first time when I was young and doing crazy shit and rolling all like five times a week and just for hours had a dude have a heavyweight like land right on my neck just get, get a belly flop on it asshole and, and i was like in a neck brace for a couple of weeks so i was like oh shit it would suck to live like this yeah yes i've had a few quite a few injuries two broken collarbones a torn acl and i would say they were all walks in the park compared to the slow chinese torture of have hemicrania continua, which is like having a mid-range migraine 24-7. And yeah, it just goes and go. You wake up with it. You go to sleep with it. It doesn't stop. And it got pretty intense for a while there. The, there's a interesting thing about having head pain is that it's very claustrophobic. There's, it's not like knee pain or arm pain or something where you can say, okay, there's the pain over here. And here I am over there. You can distance yourself from it. Head pain, excuse the pun, is in your face. It's like right there. You got nowhere to go. Absolutely nowhere to go. Oh, you can't get away from it because it's literally your head. It is. That's the seat of your consciousness. That's it. And the first dose of psilocybin that I took was the first time that I had it quiet in about a year. So that one dose and yeah, so it was one dose and... Yeah, sure. I was tripping balls, and but I was pain-free for that time. And then as soon as the trip was over, the pain came back. Oh. And I thought that, okay, fine. If I get this little, like a vacation, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a little bit of time tripping balls. That's fine. <laughs> and then, because it was quite pleasant for me. It was really pleasant. Some people have yeah. been tough trips and yes, I've had tough trips since then, but like, Right there in the beginning, it was all fun and games, all fun and games. And it wasn't until the third dose, because I was on a a regimen that's actually designed for people with cluster headaches, which is related to hemicrania continua. And it was like, it's a dose every five days until you break out of whatever headache cycle that you're in. And it wasn't until the third one that I started having pain-free time in between the tripping. Oh. Okay, so now I've extended that to two weeks now, like two weeks. That's excellent. I don't, I'm not familiar with what research is going on right now. I know that there is some, but are there like physicians or people that in a credible position of like medical authority that are like trying to get off label or at least some sort of get patients to try this? Or is it just still outside of that? No, there's a pretty well-known headache doctor at Yale who does several studies. My neurologist was pretty familiar with it. If I had cluster headache, I'm pretty sure that he would have suggested it because they suggest it with a wink and a nod. That's because cluster headache is a true nightmare. It is another version of the same like trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias, which is what I have. Um, 
But instead of that long, slow Chinese torture drip, it is like a hot poker being put through one of your eyes. And it lasts between a half hour to a couple of hours. And people don't usually, and they don't last very long. because Yeah, I can't imagine. It's also on a schedule. So you get some sort of form of TSD because it hits every night at 2 a.m. People are afraid to sleep. They just wither. They're just dreading being. Yeah. Oh, man, I I can't imagine. There's enough horror and crap in the world now that, you know, people are taking the, what is it, the Camus is his idea that life is whatever keeps you from killing yourself. That the reason to live. You take yeah. that away, then you have a good reason to kill yourself. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably not the most pleasant way of discussing the subject. But yeah, no, I kind of get it. Yeah, well, this, you this know, suffering. Frost, I, I was I was there. I had some really unpleasant thoughts about my office balcony because when it, when there's no way out, there's you look at yeah. one way out. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a whole other ethical thing to to talk about. I am on the side of bodily autonomy. So if that's your decision and you're making it with all the information provided and you're, yeah, okay, that's up to you. But people- Yeah, but for me, all the difference just made is like, it's a handful of mushrooms that you can grow on less than like 20 cents worth of materials. That's all it took. There's just some, a little bit of puritanical thought in the pro, in the way. Yeah, no. And that that's another, that's a good counter argument is that we don't know there might be a solution that that's a, what's the, the, the quip, the suicide's a temporary, like a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Sometimes the problems aren't temporary. Maybe we can figure out a way to make them temporary. I haven't really found out if time is real, but I'm pretty sure that my perception (laughs) of time is real. Ah. And if you don't have to sit in my shoes, I don't think you should be making decisions. Hell yeah. I mean, that, that is a personal a decision, not a public health decision that should be made by people in a top-down authoritarian sort of way. So whatever, mind your own damn business. Uh, well, but this retreat has put me in some pretty interesting positions. We get visitors that are of all ages, all walks of life, everything from, let's say, surgeons to school teachers to nurses, different types of people that are that. Uh, that come and I haven't never experienced something like this before, an altered state of mind. And because we have a more like a measured rationalist approach to it, they feel a little bit more comfortable than they would otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Because like I say, hip, the whole hippie thing turns people off to an extent because nobody wants to be taken like not seriously. And I, I think it's a good thing that it's being more normalized and people can, this isn't like more like normies can get involved in something like this and not have to worry about like the negative associations or something. They can just address the problems that they're there to address. So I think that's awesome. You know, what's really interesting is that I can actually tell you about the one, like most of the people who come to the retreat, I have an, like a one-on-one conversation with them before they come. There have been a couple of times where we have, let's say spouses or friends that are not planning on fully participating they're yeah. there to just to accompany somebody. Yeah. And so I don't necessarily have much of a reason to have these one-on-one conversations with them. And there was a point that I could tell you just in an interaction where I realized that this person thinks that I'm an airhead hippie. 
they're not taking me seriously. They, we didn't have this one on this interaction before. So all they know is that this person that's standing in front of them that runs this retreat. And I'm like, okay, so there was something very strange about that interaction. What was it? I could, oh, ah, this person doesn't respect me. <laughs> that, and it's a very, it's a very clear thing for, from someone who's used to know, commanding that attention or being more on the serious side. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are very used to, to not being respected to the point they probably can't tell the difference, but I wasn't one of them. And yeah. so it was quite a surprise to me. Yeah. But it is a shame that we have those thoughts around or those preconceived ideas around this subject or people yeah. that are involved in this. Because at this point, I really don't have much of a, I'm not going to say just a choice, but it's just. It's such a deep part of who I am now. And also just in the Hemicrania Continua did ruin a bit of my ability to do my previous job. Yeah. So I can't look in a microscope comfortably anymore. Yeah, no, I can't imagine, especially anything centering overhead. I get headaches staring at that one looking stupid little red blood cells and crap. It's It doesn't really trigger the headache so much isn't it just it's just a little bit difficult to think visually to focus that way yeah like yeah, I, I know i had it pretty well controlled with the psilocybin but but yeah. the promise here was that we were going to talk about dmt right yeah yeah i would like to steer that towards it because i'm sure a lot of people in our audience have listened to one of those rogan podcasts or even something mentioned by sam harris huh? and i've heard clips from him stop listening to rogan I wasn't even, I was never a regular listener, but I listened to every now and then he had somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson or Richard Dawkins on. I'd listen to one of those. Not you the, don't have to, the, you don't have to defend your Rogan uh, focus. Okay. I, I, I have judging, to though. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not judging you. I don't immediately say, yeah, Rogan's the devil. Screw that guy. Tim and his freaking five foot four and eraser nipples or whatever. <laughs> that dude. Have you seen that? Maybe I'll cut this out of the podcast, but there's a picture of him in bathtub in an ice bath or something because he's always doing something ridiculous, ice baths or having fish eat his feet or something. And uh, the dude has like four inch freaking like fully erect nipples and it's gross. And I would every now and then I would take a picture of that and send it to my wife on a message. And then I would zoom in and I would zoom in and just look like a brand new kindergarten pencil eraser. And she would just so pissed. <laughs> what a relationship. I mean, wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's probably not the healthy, healthiest way. Of, it's that, no, it sounds pretty healthy to me. If you can joke about nipples on men yeah, in ice baths. That's so bad. Okay. Maybe, maybe I will put one up in the show. Now. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that to you guys, but just Jesus. So yeah, no, in, I, I completely lost my track. No, I'm talking about DMT. Yes. Sorry, we went DMT to, to nipples, but yeah, yes. So let's go over the basics of it. Pros, cons. Obviously, you mentioned it's derived from ayahuasca. Is it a more purified version of that or how does that work? It's a purified version of, of one of the ingredients in ayahuasca. Okay. Yeah. Like my, the way that I came into with, the, with DMT is that at, our, at the retreat, sometimes we have visitors that have, they've been taking like antidepressants for many years. And that can desensitize those receptors to psilocybin. So you can have somebody that eats, let's say, eight, nine, 10 grams of mushrooms and walks it off like it's a regular Wednesday. And I don't know if you know how much the 
the idea of eight, nine, 10 grams of mushrooms is. It's a lot. Not even a clue. Average dose is maybe two and a half. Terrence McKenna talked up the five gram dose as the heroic dose. That's the hero's journey. And I have sometimes like just just a little 110 pound lady go and throw down 10 grams of mushrooms and be like, okay, yeah, now what? Because the, the, those medications can desensitize those receptors. Okay. And that, and so we started using DMT as a, as an option because our point is to make sure that everybody goes home comfortable with the idea of what a psychedelic experience is. Yeah. So that's, and that's what we use it. We also use DMT for if someone has an attack of cluster head, a cluster headache attack, DMT works as an amazing abortive. It stops the attack right in its tracks and just hitting oh. the reset button. And someone, for someone with cluster headaches, you run out of abortive options pretty fast because you can, what, okay, one of the options are is you can take a sumatriptan injection and that has like some pretty sh bad effects on your heart. There's a limit to how many you can take. So if you have four or five, six attacks a day, but you only get one dose of the abortive medication, otherwise you're running the risk of having a heart attack, it's, there's some tough decisions to be made. Yeah. The other options are they can maybe huff pure oxygen. Like you can, <laughs> pure oxygen causes, has like a vasoconstrictive effect and that can abort the attack, but still the attack has to go on for several and it might work in five minutes. It might work in 10 minutes. And yeah. I mentioned before, it's a hot poker in your eye socket. It's not good. So the, the great thing about the DMT is that it works immediately and there are no health drawbacks as far as like cardiovascular problems with the DMT. Huh. And so that's the business, like, like the serious side of it. On the other side, when I tried the DMT, I was like, I don't know what all these Rogan fans are talking about. This being such a, this like crazy intense experience. Yes, sure. It is a good 10, 15 minutes of very intense psychedelic experience, but I don't I mean, yeah, I didn't understand what the big deal was about. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's where the, uh, the wishful thinking comes in and you want to see, you want to connect with some greater truth to the universe or some elders of the universe. Well, I, I didn't say, I didn't say that it didn't have a profound effect. I mean, both, all of them can have a pretty profound effect. It's not, yeah. but I would not have said that it's like much different from a larger dose of psilocybin in many ways. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, that makes more sense. But because if you listen to some of the stuff that he's put out there and maybe well, the, I'm, the elves, yeah, yeah. It's just, you want to hear about the elves? I'll tell you about the elves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll tell you all about the elves. Are I we talking cookie elves or Legolas elves? Yeah, if Legolas is pretty hot. I would have been pleased if there had been a Legolas showing up. Like that, that would have, I would have been fine with that. Except I've come to the conclusion that these things are based on your expectations. And there's sometimes when you are in an altered state of mind and you're experiencing very complex emotions and complex geometric shapes that it is part of human nature to i guess the right word would be anthropomorphize something to say that yes. this is an entity not that yeah. okay this is something that is complicated you know there, there's a point where it goes like this is something that is so complicated it must be something separate from myself 
Yeah, exactly. We're pattern-seeking creatures because our ancestors had to look for predators in a bunch of deep grass or something. And so, yeah. oh, that's a cat that's going to eat me. Okay. So we developed we develop that. So. Right. And so I don't, the artwork of what people have described as, hey, this is the elves. At the point, as I could say, I could have experienced it, but my experience was, oh, that's a creature. No, that was not my experience at all. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's helpful because I'm sure some people would be like, I, I wouldn't mind playing around with something like this responsibly, but I'm not trying to contact another dimension and something Cthulhu. I don't know. But I don't think that, I don't think that those things exist. I just think that maybe DMT is popular among a certain like slice of the population. And that population is, has the tendency to look for these things to yeah, I mean, those things. We're all swimming in like a world where we're trying to find meaning and it's pretty uncomfortable and miserable at times and we're devoid of it. And anything that, that looks like it's something it's got meaning to it has been commodified so that they can sell you a brand or whatever. It's just, yeah. So I, I can understand the appeal of something like that, finding something that's bigger than this, just all this because you walk outside your door and yeah, it's cool, but what else is there? Is there supposed I, to be something? I've had some in incredibly satisfying, like lovely trips with that have been just like a salve to the soul, but yeah. I have never looked at one of those, like those complex structures that your mind comes up with and thought that this is something separate from myself. Yeah. Uh, that's, you're probably more grounded than a lot of the people that are uh, inclined to do this. And that's just because until well, now, you would be surprised. Like sometimes that we have, let's tell you, we have people that come to the retreat for all sorts of ages, reasons, all this sort of things. And that you would take somebody who is not necessarily even, like that. It, everyone does a little bit of a, like a little step back and say, wait, maybe reality is not quite as simple or solid as I thought it was after that. It's just hmm. everybody. Wow. Yeah, no, I can get that. I'm trying to visualize because like I said, I have no experience whatsoever in this. And I think the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is caffeine just in like <laughs> massive unhealthy quantities. Like we're talking, I think the highest I got in a day was like 2000 milligrams. And wow. it was, yeah, no, that was rough. It's a very, it is a very different sensation. It's, I can't compare it to, was, okay, so since I've had the hemicrania continue, I can't really consume alcohol. I don't also I mean even cannabis products that I don't react very well to. So it's, I've skipped, you have to skip a whole section of what you, those, a whole shelf of the mind altering substances and yeah. only that's only the psilocybin. Not even the LSD, because ain't nobody got time for that. That's like a full 12 hour, 8, 10, 12 hour experience. Uh -huh. Oh, snap. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, seriously. Who has, my kids have time for that. Like you're 18 and you're working a job a couple of days a week or something, you whatever, live in a basement. But yeah, grown ups, probably not. Hopefully not. I don't know. I live in Austin, so there's a lot of grown up kids. So trying to get their band like together at 40 and they're going to, they're going to make it big. So now, I, I, I ch chase your dreams, funny. guys. I'm just being that. I think it's funny how, like, when you think of the word DMT, probably what came to your mind is, yeah, okay, Joe Rogan and his podcast talking about, man, you got to try DMT. Or you think of this, I think the proper word is a wook. Have you ever heard that word before? No. A wook is a specific type of hippie that is a little bit extra dirty, a little bit extra. Is it related to extra, you should add it to your to your, to your vocabulary, but that's the thing okay. that, that comes to, to mind is, yeah, this is what, who's going to be doing D. But okay. 
the last person that I actually was sitting with teaching how to use DMT was a 60-year-old woman who is a school teacher. And then there was another one, okay, so that also in her 60s. I don't remember what the what her what profession was, but this lady had never smoked anything. She did not understand the mechanics of smoking and was having a terrible yeah, cluster headache attack. Nope. And I had to, in, those, in that moment, teach her, this is how smoking works. You take a puff and then you take another puff of clean air to make sure that it goes down because she didn't understand the mechanics of it. Oh. So, <laughs> wow. So yeah, this is my reality. See, yeah. I would never thought of that either. I, I used to be terrible at, I had a, I got bronchitis one time and they gave me an inhaler and I was just, I screwed that all up. I guess I never thought that there is a thing to well, the technique. Yeah, if, you, if you've never smoked and you're experiencing one of the, like a very painful attack and then you also have to learn it right then at that moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, and then it all comes out of your nose, like a DMT dragon, not instead oh. of <laughs> Yeah. And I can't imagine there's like a pamphlet for this sort of thing that you can pick up at a, at like anywhere. It's like, here's a guide. Here's a quick PDF on how yeah, to frost inhale. Me. It's me. I am the pamphlet. I'm like, okay, so you, you, you breathe it in, then you breathe it in again, and then you <laughs> blow it out, hold it a couple of seconds, then blow it out. And you see really quick right there who actually never spent any time behind the bleachers back at high school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm raising my hand because I was fucking nerd i did although i did try to smoke clove cigarettes because that was a thing back in the 90s those are really and, bad for you yeah oh that was terrible really but i was like 16 i was like oh this is cool i look so cool and then yeah, it was gross and i barely inhaled so and i went through a cigar phase too just because it, every male douchebag in america it just is driven to that point. for a period yeah so look at me oh i've got a cigar i spent 17 dollars on this it was like sorry yeah i, I grew up so I'd like to get a little bit woo with you right now. Ooh. Which, woo, a little bit woo. Because, you know, the funny thing is that nothing is more like weirded woo than actual real neuroscience. Like the woo stuff, just like a little crystal, a little bit of some crystals, some horoscope stuff, mercury and retrograde, all this, that. that that's <laughs> not really that complicated. But actual neuroscience as it applies to consciousness that's some pretty trippy stuff. It is yeah. trippy. And because I, I saw earlier you were trying to think, okay, what would it be like to experience something like this? What is it like afterwards? And I'm going to try and give you the best explanation possible. Like the, in the okay. aftermath is we don't quite realize that we're not necessarily experiencing reality in real time. That you are operating from moment to moment based on assumptions about prior experiences. You don't necessarily feel in real time. Most of the things that you see aren't even real. What I mean by real is like you, you see them and what's in, then what's in your peripheral vision is just held there by your mind. The position, yeah. the everything about it is just, it's like just sort of penciled in. And when you have a psychedelic experience or during the experience, you'll find that like the visual effects, they do follow the patterns that the neurons are organized in our brain to actually see. So those geometrical patterns that you see are a reflection of how our, of how vision actually works. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have my cognitive science classes that, that I took in college. So it's all tracks. Oh, so far, tracks. it's okay. just, yeah, no, I'm, I'm and then the crystals here. and then the crystals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's uh, where the elves come in. And then the elves. Well, yeah. The crystal, but then also like the feelings that our opinions about things are not necessarily made in real time. We are just sometimes like, yeah, we are repeating. It's based on like Bayesian statistics. Like you have a bunch of prior experiences and yeah. everything that you assume or you think like that right now is based on those prior experiences. You're just recursively cycling through things. You're just, uh, yeah. At all, all times. So actually that's, that reminds me because I, I had, I never make notes for a show, but I did for this. Oh. And one of the things I think it was Sam Harris actually, who said the mechanism of action and the, this is me. I might be completely wrong and everybody correct me and yell at me, whatever, is that it DMT decreases activity of the default mode network in the brain. So and all of the psychedelics do. Okay. So it's a psychedelic thing across the board. And I can see them. That's how you're talking about consciousness. And your brain has this system that pieces together separate in nerve impulses and signals and building a simulacrum of the world out there based on just all your meat interacting with it, which isn't the world. It's just a model of it. That's my understanding of it based on just sitting here in my chair. Oh, are, are you, you familiar know? with Donald Hoffman? I think it is. Yeah. It's another neuroscientist. He, uh, I, no. we'll have to, I'll have to send you some information from him because yeah, it's a long sure, time. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. It just, I don't get, I can't say intuitively. I get that just as a, as an intellectual exercise in trying to process the information that I know. And then, like I said, I don't think this is so much woo is it. It's just your epistemology it's your standpoint from where you are and you're seeing shit and you're experiencing it. And it's a totally different experience than some guy like me. That's very vanilla with things. Yeah, the first thing that I noticed, if you're vanilla, the first thing that I noticed that was like changing in me is I'm a person of habit. I do things just because I'll wear the same pair of socks. I'll drink out of the same coffee cup over and over again. Why? Because that's my coffee cup. Even though I have a whole cupboard of coffee cups that are just as good, just I mean, would work just as well. I grab the same one over and over again. And I mean, in the beginning, I didn't know anything about this, the neuroscience side of it. I just knew I was going, trying to fix a headache problem. And I started grabbing different coffee cups and I started putting together outfits, clothing that I'd never thought to match together. Just out of habit. Just I'm going to drink out of a different cup. Why? Because that's the one that called to me that day. But it didn't, it sounds like a little thing. It sounds yeah. like a little thing, but we're creatures of habit. And when you don't have that blueprint to pull from, telling you how you should think, feel about everything, then having a little bit of a fresh start. And then I started liking I cucumbers, which <laughs> I hate. You know, I always told myself that I hated cucumbers, like something about the taste of them. I just could not, just didn't like now, you know what? Cucumbers don't bother me because I think I actually tasted it without prejudice. Yeah. That's cool. And that goes back to you're always processing cursively in a Bayesian sort of way that everything yes. uh, through a filter of past experience or assumptions or all this crap that's in your head, you know? Yeah. Which is now, you see DMT and psilocybin and LSD and mescaline. Those are all serotonergic psychedelics that do close down the, the default mode network. So a bunch of other stuff can come out to play instead of being told it has to stay in line and stick to the rules. Yeah, that's cool. I think like Sam Harris actually, because I listened to a little bit of uh, him explaining it, and he said he wouldn't describe it as a uh, 
as so much of a spiritual experience because you know i mean he's the sam he's skeptic yeah he's sam harris but he said that he was struck by just a general empathy and connection to everyone around just a goodwill for every single existing creature in the world because he he doesn't say this is me supposing adding on after the fact but because when you would naturally that was almost like where you're not worried about some guy that's gonna has an agenda to screw your life over or run you over in a car because they're not paying attention or any of the other things that we're hyper aware of just to be alive in, in modern society it you can you literally your guard is let down like even against your will on something like that that's how i understood what he was saying does that worry that's you true i'd like to try but and describing it sounds like quite vulnerable that's not like really a, yeah. that's not a feeling that i've had I think that it's this feeling of empathy because it actually, we feel better when we have that sense of okay. connection. It's All right, something that we naturally gravitate towards because it feels good. It's like a hedonic tone that you're going more towards what actually feels more comfortable. Okay. I can get that too. Cause the only thing I can relate this to is my caffeine and think, and so if I'm drinking a cup of coffee or a pre-workout, there's this moment where I, it, I know it's kicking in, finally kicking in, maybe 15 minutes or whatever into it. And like the first idea that comes across my mind, I was like, that is awesome. I want that, to, that's just the greatest thing in the world. I want to do that for the rest of my life for just a fleeting second. It doesn't matter if it's like mowing the yard is like for that split second. It's like, I love mowing the fucking grass. It's so fucking cool. Even though I hate yard work and I think long <laughs> bullshit, but I can compare it to the caffeine high or that it's very different. Yeah. But what you can compare it to is if you have a few a good 10, 20 years to put aside to dedicate yourself to a very intense meditative practice, they have found that the brain activity of monks who are very high level meditators who are able to reach those levels are called jhanas in meditation that the default mode network also powers down when they uh, observed under an fMRI. The activity is very similar. Huh. I can see that. It's in a sense, not like met physically, but in a sense, it's a muscle that you could train, right? Your brain is probably the most trainable part of your entire system. You can rewire it uh, to make a bad analogy because, I mean, it's not wires, but yeah, you can just open neural pathways and sort of things. I, I love neuroscience. I should have done that for a career, but instead, I, I'm a big fan of neuroscience too. It's just, I, yes, I'm a big fan. Actually, at the retreat, what we do is the day after we have that macro dose, the larger dose, the next morning, we do a pretty intense session of like meditative breath work. And the intention during that session is to, to find a way to reactivate some of those sensations. And it works. It works. Being, huh. you know, you're not necessarily under the influence of that substance anymore. When you engage in that kind of intense breath work, it is like the floor drops out from underneath you and you are just floating in space. It's pretty wild. Huh. And some people get like that full effect of like they even start having some like some geometric visual effects on the I mean, with their eyes closed. Some people just get a little bit like a whispering of sensation. But the idea is that door doesn't go completely closed. It just, just, and you can just, with a little bit of breath work, bump it right back open. Huh. Okay. So yeah, you're just complementing like a physical practice with the chemical that's doing its thing. So that's- Oh yeah. That's the intention is to be able to, to, cause we take a rather large dose, but then the two days later, there's a very uh, smaller dose. One that like, if you took it right now, you probably wouldn't feel much more like than if you had like maybe a beer or something. It's just something yeah. that's a little bit different, but under the influence of that dose, 
it's called a mini dose, about use about a gram and a half. If you get into that like, same like meditative state, do the breathing exercises, that will, it's like pressing the gas. It's like you are, it will launch you into a full-on experience that feels like you've taken two or three times that amount. Huh. But the convenient part is that after you stop with the breathing exercises, it goes back to, you can shake off those sensations. Okay. It might even be possible at some point to train yourself in to just hit that state within an absence of any kind of chemical yeah. aid. Oh, yeah. Which seems like that would be the goal. I personally am never more than two weeks away from it having had a psychedelic experience. Mm. So I can't really, and I know some people do being do that. They go for, but you would have to practice like daily to keep that because that door does want to close. Okay. Yeah. God, that's such an interesting field, uh, like area of research. I am envious of the people that can just jump in there with like actual funding and that that sort of thing, and willing test subjects and IRB approval and, and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, that's a very. We are doing a working on getting approval for a DMT study. It's those self-reported kind of things that we're going to help facilitate. Where you have this app, it's for cluster headaches, where you just you track. Okay, were you able to abort? something with a DMT, how often, how long did it take to abort it? But yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm familiar with the process. Yeah. That, I can't wait till that sort of thing becomes a whole, an actual legitimate field where it's not just the Joe Rogan's out there talking about it. It's legitimate scientists and being that are openly discussing without fear of pushback or like hostility from like normies or regular people. Because uh, we, we don't even have one illegal language in most of this country. At that I know at least part of it, but not even close to most of it. C certainly not here in Texas. These populations that are like really small. Cluster headaches, very tiny yeah. population. For what I have, hemicrania continua, even tinier population. There's the people with trigeminal neuralgia. Also, it's a pretty small population. And all those things seem to respond pretty well to the DMT. And the the real like convenient part about DMT is that it's so fast. The experience is so short. It's like a 10 minute thing. And we've had at the retreat, yeah, someone who is just like writhing in pain, like who is mm -hmm. in extreme pain. There's like snot going everywhere and oh. tears. And yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, because the like cluster headaches, they work on your autonomic system too. So there's a lot of swelling on one eye and yeah, snot coming out of one, one nostril. We've had it like where someone is in a state like that and 20 minutes later is sitting like a normal human being at the dinner table. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It would be nice. It's just, it, I think that in many ways, like that crowd, like the Joe Rogan crowd, they do it a disservice because yeah. on a medical side, it is very useful. And it's, and even when they, I'll tell you like, a, okay, so five grams of mushrooms is known as the hero's dose. I think Terrence McKenna termed that the hero's dose. So it sounds like the, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you, so when you hear the word hero's dose, you think, wow, that's a really big deal. So we all like we get the, that's the dose that we start with at the retreat. And okay. there's a reason why we chose that dose. The dose is that people look more pliable at that level. So okay. when it comes to helping them redirect the experience, they're a little bit more open to being redirected as opposed. So it's actually the more comfortable dose because okay. when someone's there to help you, you're doing great. Yeah. But so it's like just very consistent that everyone's, oh my God, I don't know if I can handle this. Five grams of mushrooms. Oh my God, isn't that the hero's dose? The heroic dose? I'm no hero. I don't want to be a hero. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's probably and a bad label for it. Sometimes, like the night before that, that that session, I'll be getting text messages from people in their room saying, maybe we should cut it down to four. Can I just cut mine down to four? Like they're they're asking because, because okay, <laughs> it's it's just like that. And no, we, we usually stick to the five grams. It usually works well when I explain it. But then inevitably it goes from after the pass it, the, the effects pass, they're like, I can't believe that was five grams. I can't believe that I was so in control of my, what I felt like couldn't control of my body and control of the, the situation. I never felt like I was truly out of control. Are you sure that was five grams? That's <laughs> what they call the hero's dose. And without fail, every single time, as soon as they're on the phone with a friend or family member, it's, I took five grams of mushrooms. It is, it's like a fishing story. Like the fish got, like the, all of a sudden they went from, <laughs> I can't believe that was only five grams to now I've earned my badass badge. Yeah. That's it. So when it comes to like stuff like DMT, I feel like for a substance that a lot of people don't get exposed to, they don't have experience with when they only get those kinds of stories. It doesn't do it any justice. It definitely was not helpful when I'm sitting with somebody who is middle-aged or older and has never done anything like this before, but they have a crippling neurological condition that's really painful. And I was like, no, you're going to be fine. Just go ahead. You can, you're going to be fine. That Having that culture surrounding it has not necessarily been helpful. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And not to use the same cliche in the space of an hour, but I can see that it's it would be like a double-edged sword. Yes, people are more aware of it, but because of all that knuckleheadery, but yeah, it's it, they're aware of it for the wrong reasons. Isn't it like, I mean, it'd be really funny if this 25-year-old guy, like, I'm such a badass, I took DMT and I saw the elves and then grandma sitting there, yeah, like, me too, dude. Me too. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, shut up, man. I was knitting last week. So I, guess. I just, I, I just was knitting and I had a little like a twinge. I thought I was going to get a headache. So I hit the DMT and then yeah. everything went fine after that. It just takes the whole badassery part out of it a bit. Yeah, I just want to make cookies for my grandkids. You twerk. So I'm going to keep living in a way that is acceptable to yeah. a level of quality that it's acceptable. God, yeah, that's the, the real heart of it. Find your reduced suffering in the damn world because it's too much of it as it is. So we're at the point where I normally, it's a thing we've been doing. So I'm not, I don't want to bring this on you, but I do. So I'm lying. I do. So every, for the last couple of podcasts we've done, every single guest has been on, we have asked them a question. And the question is, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be like suited up, ready to go in a MMA cage to fight a human being alive on the planet today, who would that person be and why? Ooh, they have to be alive today. They have to be alive today. So no, like Abraham Lincoln or shit. Cause otherwise everybody. It's that, it's that doughy blonde guy in, in the UK. What was he? Was Boris something? Boris Johnson. Yeah. Boris Johnson. Because <laughs> I think I could win. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Eminent is bad hair. Yeah. Yeah. I just, okay. I think it would be funny. I think it would be entertaining. And I think I could win. I would watch the hell out of that. And that's my primary criteria for whether or not that's a good answer. So cool. That's awesome. Boris Johnson. That, you know, that, that's a that's a little trick that Sam Harris uses to prove that there's actually no such thing as free will. Oh. They think of the name of a celebrity. And then once you think of it, it's okay, explain to me how you came up with that. Why didn't you come up with another name? So we were actually just yeah. slaves. Ah, 
Oh, that's not yeah. true. I had not heard that. And I have, have no to, control of what thought's going to appear next. I have come around to his way of thinking about free will. And yeah, I was on a was it, Embrace the Void podcast. It's run by Rutgers philosopher, Aaron. He's awesome. Super much smarter than I am. But yeah, he runs people through a gauntlet of questions like that. Is this real? Is that real? And you can only say yes or no. And I was in such pain. Yeah. I do think free will is an illusion. And explaining that to, again, a normie is just like, what? No, I can do this. Look, I'm raising my hand. That's not how that works. (laughs) Not how it works. Much more complicated things going on but uh, okay man just it serves our interest to let you keep believing that because i don't want to be mean i do i do want to be mean let's be honest you do yeah yeah i know even though i had no control that i chose boris johnson i still want to kick his ass that's i'm like i'm pleased with my choice i am yeah our our uk listeners would love that so yeah i'm good (laughs) he's not very popular over there so uh, awesome okay where can people find you if they want to find out more information on this sort of thing. Okay, so the name of the retreat is Eleusinia Retreat. Okay. And are you familiar with the Eleusinian Mysteries? Have you ever heard of those before? Not outside of our conversations. Okay. Okay, so back in thousands of years ago, a long time, there was a rite of passage for a lot of philosophers in like the ancient Greek time where they would go to this, this festival called the Eleusinian Mysteries. And the rule was, is that you could only go once in your lifetime and you couldn't tell anybody exactly about what you did, what it was. So like Vegas, right? Yeah, something like that. But it's deeper than that, Frost. It's deeper. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I'm making a shitty joke. Sorry. Yeah. So we're not like Plato, Socrates, all these really high-end philosophers. And yeah, you could. And the theory is that it was a psychedelic type of ceremony that was going on. Okay. And yeah, that tracks. It sounds awesome. So, uh, I mean, Eleusinian, Eleusinian, Eleusinia retreat. Okay. Yeah. God knows how much I would have preferred to live back there minus the constant warfare and shit. It's not like we don't have well, constant warfare well, now. I hope you didn't get an infected too. So that would have also been okay. a, big, a big bummer at that point. Yeah. Antibiotics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Give that. it a thought. Right. Yeah, I like the way things are now. So awesome. They can, there's a, is there a website? Is there a Twitter yeah, account? com. Cool. And then Eleusinia is spelled E-L-E-U-S-I-N-I-A, retreat.com. Okay, that's helpful because I'm sure people are going to talk that up. And there's probably not okay website with a similar spelling because that's how the internet works. So awesome. This has been great. I think a lot of people learn things that sound and are a little bit more authoritative than something they learned from their stone or uncle in a basement, which is what the quality of the Joe Rogan sphere is so although he used to have good guests on it but bugs me did what happened to that like i there there was a point where i just stopped they were really good and the good part was he didn't really talk much yeah he just let them because he he had not and he still acknowledges that he's a dumbass but he like like they people have pointed out he has a clear agenda and he is always gravitating towards the most ridiculous wild conspiratorial sort of takes on things so it's not like he's just having conversations he's steering stuff in the hubris gets us all yeah those, those kind of podcasts obviously sell more than all kind of podcasts because he's on top of spotify and i don't even know if we're ranked on there oh god i don't want to look Let's at the rankings talk more about dmt yeah hey maybe we'll pick up some of the rogan audience that's yeah i want to know more about this but i don't want to be associated with somebody who puts Ted Nugent on my show. Well, that friggin' pedo. Look at 
Yeah, that's yeah, not a pleasant yeah. one. Yeah, no, fuck that guy. Yeah. Sorry. Man, I, I'm too wound up in this shit. This has been great. I, I don't know how to elegantly wrap this up, obviously. Uh, see. Run out of the room and say bye. Frost, thanks for having me on. Yeah, this has it's been, been great. great. <laughs>